0: Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. The dust is starting to settle on the trade deadline, which seemed like it would be very quiet in the days leading up to it, followed by a ton of very unexpected trades coming in pretty close to the deadline day itself. So I'm here to discuss the aftermath with Kevin Nye. And Kevin, how are you doing? I am
1: doing all right, man. It was a busy Thursday.
0: Shockingly busy Thursday, honestly, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So we are going to discuss all the trades that actually happened on trade deadline day itself. But let's start by going back a little ways to one of the earlier trades in the whole process. Long before the actual deadline day itself, the Minnesota Timberwolves traded Jeff Teague and Travion Graham to the Atlanta Hawks for Alan Crabb. And this trade looks slightly better in hindsight, just because the Timberwolves actually did end up with a point guard in D'Angelo Russell rather than having to start Jordan McLaughlin. Like, it looked like they might have to earlier on in the trade deadline process. But even with that in mind, this trade just never made all that much sense to me. Alan Crabb has not looked great in the last year and a half or so, dealing with multiple different injuries And even though T wasn't exactly all they wanted him to be after signing the biggest free agent deal in the history of the franchise, he's still a solid point guard who was doing pretty well in a backup role, even though he's a veteran and former all-star that maybe people didn't expect to excel in that kind of a backup role. But I just didn't really get why Minnesota wanted to do this trade. Maybe they just believe in Alan Crabb shooting a lot more than he's shown in the last year and a half. and. Certainly they need shooting on that team.
1: Right, that's the only thing I can think of is just a need for shooting and I'm uh, I'm not terribly surprised that Atlanta was willing to uh to to move on from the Allen Crab experiment. Um and sort of like what you said, this trade just it was kind of like, "Oh, okay, great." Um and it does make a little more sense since they got Russell Uh, since Minnesota got Russell um, and actually does have a point guard. But um, my initial thought was the Timberwolves were willing to trade Jeff Teague, and he's like a serviceable outside shooter. And they were just so desperate for shooting that one of their only guys who could shoot gets tossed aside for a guy who can shoot. It was just like, oof. It, It just screamed that neither team had any confidence in either player. Um, And it felt like we should just make a trade. So they did. Um, That was my take on it. I guess it's evolving a little bit because it did help them uh, get D'Angelo Russell, which we'll talk about later on whether or not that was good, I guess. I don't know. The Timberwolves are just, they're a struggle.
0: Speaking of a team that is a struggle, and I say that as a fan. The Sacramento Kings traded Trevor Ariza, Caleb Swanigan, and Wenyan Gabriel for Kent Bazemore back on January 21st. And the thing about this trade is I have been dogging the Trevor Ariza signing basically since the moment that it happened. And Luke Walton gave him minutes commensurate with the version of Trevor Ariza that he played with when they were teammates, not the version of Trevor Ariza that exists in the year 2020. So honestly, I thought of this trade as a win purely because it would force Luke Walton to not play Trevor Ariza way, way, way too many minutes. And early on, it's looked like a pretty big win for the Kings, honestly. Kent Bazemore has been a solid guard defender for them. He's certainly contributed more than Ariza would. And ultimately, even though Caleb Swanigan and Wenyan Gabriel have both started games for Portland already, which is kind of surprising to me.
1: That's more an indictment on Portland, I think.
0: Yes, it says a lot more about their power forward rotation than it says literally anything else. But those were guys that weren't really playing for the Kings, and they got rid of Trevor Ariza in the process. So even if Bazemore hadn't contributed anything at all, this would probably be a win for them. But he looked really good in their surprising win over the Heat. So who knows, maybe he
1: will continue to be a big part of this team going forward. He could be. Uh, that's certainly possible. The thing that strikes me about a lot of these trades is there are so many guys involved in trades, and we'll get to several more, where you think of a guy and think, oh, Camp Bazemore, okay, like he's kind of a shooter, or in my head, you get him because he's like a, he's kind of a fill-the-box score guy, doesn't seem to do anything spectacularly well, but does a little bit of everything, and then... I pull up his stats and see that he's shooting 32% from three this season. He's under 35% on his career. And it just seems like so many trades went for guys who were not going to move the needle much for anyone. Um, And maybe I'm crazy and I've never run an NBA team. So, you know, it's probably harder than I think it is. Um, But like you said, I guess the big thing is moving on from... Trevor Ariza, um, at least for uh, for the Kings, Um, it's it's not unlike the Teague and Crab trade to me. Insofar as all the players are like, okay, fine, trade them. That shouldn't really affect much of anything for anyone, I don't think. um, Other than psychologically for Kings fans.
0: Well, a trade that certainly seemed like it would have a bigger impact when you look at the raw numbers of players being moved in it, but isn't really, I think, as big of a deal as it seemed like when it was this huge blockbuster. The 14-12 player trade executed a couple of days before the actual trade deadline itself. So the Houston Rockets received Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, and a 2024 second round pick. The Atlanta Hawks received Clint Capella and Nene, who was pretty much guaranteed to be moved at the trade deadline given the structure of the contract that the Rockets gave him. The Minnesota Timberwolves got Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, and Brooklyn's 2020 lottery-protected first-round pick. Evan Turner apparently showed up at the Wolves' practice facility but was not a part of their big trade deadline day photograph, which as a side note is a hilarious picture to look at. It's like an entire roster worth of players just standing up in front of the table with their new jerseys. (laughs) Anyway, and the final team in this deal, the Denver Nuggets managed to get Keita Bates-Diop, Gerald Green, Shabazz Napier, Noah Vonley, and a 2020 first round pick from the Houston Rockets. So Kevin, what were your first thoughts when you saw the first set of terms of this deal come through and then the 77 revisions that came through about this trade over the course of the hours following it.
1: Yeah. I'm not even sure. It's still all the way cleared up for me. Um, No, my first thought was uh, I don't understand why the Rockets were so anxious to get rid of Clint Capella. Um, I know that this, or I've seen that the statistics kind of bear out that they're running fewer pick and rolls than they were in the last couple of seasons and it's just been trending downward and I don't super understand why because he seems pretty darn good as a rim runner and you know Covington is great I am a big Robert Covington fan um you know you can basically do anything with him he's like a he's like a more athletic PJ Tucker for them you know he can guard guys who are bigger than him he can guard guys who are smaller than him he can shoot um, you know, he's probably not going to create his own shot, but you got two guys who do almost nothing but create their own shots. So, um, that was my initial take, um, as the, the other stuff started to come in, um, you know, it sort of evolved a little bit. Um, I do have a Nene story, uh, which I feel very good about because one time when I was in high school. Nene Hilario, that's his last name, was working out in my gym in a small town in Northeast Ohio. And he signed a little plastic basketball because his trainer grew up in my hometown. a Long time ago, trainer. It was very strange. It was pre-draft. But here's this, like, seven-foot Brazilian guy in our gym. And everyone's like, what is happening here? Uh, So that was very exciting. So he has a special place in my heart. Um, But anyway, uh, I still think... It was odd to be so gung-ho about getting rid of Capella, but if he's, you know, they're willing to trade anyone and everyone, so if that's what they wanted to do, that's what they did, and that was my my gut reaction. I, th- I think fine for the Rockets, good for the Hawks. That was, I guess, the first thing that, that came to me. What about you?
0: I had three subsequently building reactions about this trade from the Rocket side of it. The first thought I had is, wow, this trade is a gigantic gamble by this team that yeah. the complete abandonment of the center position is going to be their best path forward. My second thought is, this really feels a bit like a last hurrah for Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. Yeah. Daryl Morey obviously had a, let's just say, controversial off season in a lot of different ways and Mike D'Antoni his contract with the Rockets has not been renewed for next season and prior to this season pretty much his entire assistant coaching staff was fired and that leads to my third thought about this whole situation which is that I think a huge part of the reason why I feel like this might be a last hurrah for Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey This is yet another example of Tillman Fertitta angrily berating any reporter who accuses him of being cheap and yells about him about consistently doing everything he can to duck under the luxury tax and Fertitta insisting, no, I'm going to spend everything to try and make sure this is a championship caliber team. And of course, once again, making a move that slides the Rockets under the luxury tax just before the trade deadline. So yes, this is sort of a gamble by the Rockets of saying our small ball strategy can win and is going to be our best chance of fighting our way into championship contention this year. But honestly, a lot more of this just sort of feels like Daryl Morey pushing all of his chips in for him and Mike D'Antoni in what will probably be their last season in Houston before Fertitta gets someone who's a little more willing to do nothing
1: but make the team as cheap as humanly possible for Tillman Cortina. You know, it's crazy to think that all of these changes have come to the Rockets as if they were way 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 off from winning a title, right? If you're a team that squeaked into the playoffs or a team that um you know, like Utah, right? They they're good enough to be in the playoffs, they're not quite good enough to get through. So they try something different, they get Mike Conley, they try to bring in some shooting with Boyan, right? They they did something to try to get them over the hump. The Rockets were over the hump. Like they missed what was it, 27 threes, or else they would have made the finals. Like it just they they weren't far off. And then they were like, We gotta we gotta re- reconfigure. And it's like, are you guys insane? And and it's all sort of dominoes from the from Harden and Chris Paul not getting along. And it just, like, I don't think they're getting closer, even though the competition around them has gotten a little worse. Um, but I do want to have a short digression on Gerald Green, because Gerald Green gets thrown in who knows when in that deal. Goes to the Nuggets. Gerald Green, do you remember the cupcake dunk? Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was incredible. So, Gerald
0: Green... The one the one lasting memory I will have of Gerald Green is the windmill alley from the Nets where his eyes are at rim level.
1: I mean, come <laughs> on. This guy is still getting an NBA paycheck. He was a D-League All-Star MVP after the Cupcake Dunk. Then he played in Russia for two years. Then he came back, and he's been in the NBA for like eight years since then. Like, this guy's career is just absolutely bananas to me. So I'm happy for him that he's still around. He's also, like, what is he, 35? 34. So he's, you know, I'm just happy for Gerald Green, is what I'm trying to say. Good for him.
0: Unfortunately, he's going to miss the rest of the season with, I believe, a foot injury. So he's probably going to get waived shortly after this. But hopefully he'll get picked up again by an NBA team. He is from Houston and has a Houston tattoo and is... Very, very enamored with within the city of Houston itself, so maybe he'll find his way back there. In terms of the trade haul for the other teams involved in this deal, I think that getting a cost-controlled, pretty young starting center in Clint Capella for the salary that he's going to make over the next three years is a pretty pretty solid get for the Hawks, especially given that the sort of main contenders for that center role for Atlanta were probably going to be either... Steven Adams or an Andre Drummond trade, I think getting Capella is a much better option than either of those two, given the average age of the Hawks' core. Yeah, definitely. I liked the deal for the Timberwolves. I think that taking a chance on Malik Beasley and Hernan Gomez was really smart. Those were guys who were never really going to get much of a role in the Denver rotation, given how many players Denver has. But they could really show out in Minnesota, and Malik Beasley has already looked really good in his first game, so who knows, maybe he'll blow up over the last portion of the season and earn himself a big contract in restricted free agency. As for the Nuggets side, I mean, they do get Houston's 2020 first-round pick, so that's at least something. It's something. But, I mean, I get why they sort of made this move, because if Beasley and Hernan Gomez are going to sit at the end of your bench anyway, you might as well try and get something for them. Right. But of the teams involved in this deal, I think that everybody did decently, but. If there's one team that I had to pick as a quote-unquote loser of this trade, it would probably be them. But I think overall, this is a trade that somehow makes sense for all four of the teams involved.
1: Yeah, I think by and large, that's true. Um, I I agree I would put the Nuggets at the bottom of it. Um, one of the things that blew me away about this was, what, 12 players moved, I think, and The Hawks end up with Capella and Nene, who, you know, is kind of a non-factor. But with all this movement, the Hawks only gave up Evan Turner. Uh, I think maybe a pick from somewhere. I'm not super sure where. But as I was first reading through the players, I was like, oh, so the Hawks gave up a couple guys to get them. And then I went back through. I was like, wait a minute. They just gave up Evan Turner and Evan Turner's history of amazing contracts. Um, so
0: I believe the Brooklyn 2021st in this deal was from Atlanta. Okay. That makes sense from funnily enough, the Allen crab trade.
1: Uh Aha, there we are. There's going to be a lot of connections like that throughout this podcast. I think, um, a couple of them, but yeah, I, I, um, I think the nuggets didn't nuggets kind of got, uh, you know, I think Vonley and KBD are guys that they might you know they'll get some run with some injuries or you know they're real end of the bench guys who wouldn't make a playoff rotation but they can they can see what they got and if they get someone to sh- that shows out a little bit maybe it's trade bait next summer cuz you know the nuggets to me are uh Michael Porter Jr Nikola Jokic and then like six combo guards uh, and that's pretty much it so and they're good don't get me wrong but um you know if Noah Vonleh turns into a decent player i don't think the nuggets are really going to use him so uh cuz he's not going to be better than porter and he's not going to be better than well that's really all i can think of at power forward for them cuz of Mil- uh, cuz millsaps you know aging but um i don't know i don't see i think it's low risk low risk and fairly low reward unless they hit on the rockets pick which eh not so likely i don't think
0: it is a pick that is going to be towards the back of the first round, certainly. But let's move on to another pretty sizable deal from this trade deadline. After months and months of the Andre Igadala in Memphis saga, the wait is finally over. The Miami Heat got Igadala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder. The Memphis Grizzlies received Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, who... Looks like they're probably going to try and buy him out, if at all possible. And then Miami originally also sent James Johnson to Memphis, and Memphis turned around and immediately traded James Johnson to Minnesota for Gorgie Jang. And you had a take about Andre Iguodala, so I'm going to let you have the floor. What were your thoughts on this deal? Okay, Andre
1: Iguodala. Um, He's pretty old. I want to say he's 36. That can't be right. can that be right? I'm pretty sure he's 36. Yeah. So 36-year-old guy, and I'm a, I'm a Cavs fan. And I remember four years ago when Andre Iguodala's back was just a disaster in the finals. And it was like the storyline every, every game was Iguodala goes to the bench, puts a heating pad on his back every time he sits down. He can barely sit. He's got to lay on a heating pad that was four years ago. You know what doesn't get better with age? Back problems. Uh, like he's just kind of creaky and yeah, he's got this championship pedigree and he's, he's a talented player. He was a great defender. He's 36. That's not something that sticks well over time. Shooting ability. Sure. You can keep that. You can get better as a shooter, but like He's not jumping higher than he used to, he's not moving quicker than he used to cuz that's just how humans age. So the fact that he was such a big deal at the trade deadline and so coveted by so many teams, I just I don't I don't really get it and maybe I could absolutely be wrong, but I good for him for taking advantage of his situation and even getting a fat new contract out of it, but I just don't think he's going to be like some lockdown defender that nails open threes for 24 minutes a game for a contender. Like I I don't know, a 30-year-old guy with a history of back problems doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in me. Am I crazy? So my counter-argument to that is that
0: Andre Iguodala is one of the smartest basketball players in the NBA. True. And as we've seen with most notably this season, I think Chris Paul is the best example, but With a number of players, Chris Paul and LeBron sort of at the top of that list, even as their athleticism declines with age, if they just know where to be at all times on both ends of the floor, they know when to look off a certain teammate so that he can cut to the basket just in time to receive the alley-oop, making sure that he sends the two guys that just came over to the right spots on defense to make sure that he can rotate to the guy driving to the rim. Those kinds of things don't go away if you're 36 or 46 or 56. And yes, his decline in athleticism from his ridiculous early days in Philly certainly does impact him to some extent. But I think that there are ways in which his basketball IQ will allow him to contribute, even if he's never going to be the same player
1: that he was when he was a few years younger. So I would push back a little bit on that because I I agree with what you're saying. Like he's going to he can make all the right calls defensively because he is super smart, but there's a a big difference between having a great basketball IQ and being the one who controls the ball, like Chris Paul or LeBron James, versus Iguodala, who's going to be, I mean, a lot of times for the Warriors, he's a spot-up shooter. I mean, yeah, he's he is setting screens and, and part of the offense there, but like, he's not as instrumental... I mean anywhere near it, I wouldn't think as those other guys who we put in the same category of this guy just sees the game better than everyone else. I would think it's going to have a much smaller effect as the third or fourth or fifth most important guy on your off or on the when you have the ball but realistically the truth will end up somewhere in the middle, I'm sure
0: for the rest of this trade. I think Memphis did pretty well, but my opinion of their haul in this trade improved dramatically when they amended it to include the James Johnson for Gorgie Jang part of the trade. I get that Gorgie wasn't going to play all that much in Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns ahead of him, and he probably won't play all that much in Memphis either with Jonas Valanciunas ahead of him in the rotation, but... James Johnson has been a negative player given his contract value for the last couple of years since he signed that big deal with Miami and Memphis at least gets something for that deal when I thought they were just going to have to basically eat that contract, which is what it looks like they're going to be doing with Deion waiters in the next couple of days.
1: True. Um, on the bright side, uh, I think Justice Winslow is a substantial upgrade over Crowder and or Solomon Hill. Um, I wrote this in the notes. I think Jay Crowder might suck. Don't tell Jeremy you said that. (laughs) I'm sorry. I will, I will keep this a a close secret or something. Um, but Jeremy had him on the Celtics for the one season that Jay Crowder was a good shooter. There's only one season that Jay Crowder was a good shooter. One in his nine year career or whatever it is. Um, he has cleared 34% on threes one time. And it was Boston 2016-17 when he shot 40% from three. But because of that season, we think of him as a shooter. It's sort of like what I was thinking with Bazemore earlier. But Jay Crowder's not a particularly good shooter. He's shooting 29% from deep this season. And he's taken six a game. So it's not like, you know, which one's the outlier here? The seven seasons of under 34% or the one season of 40%, you know? Um So, I mean, he's, he's a decent defender. Um, you know, I got to see him up close a little bit when he was with the Cavs for a minute there. Um, he's, it's, I think after that run with Boston, he had, uh, like some shoulder problems that we used as an excuse when he was on the Cavs. Um, and I don't think it's an excuse anymore because he shot 32% and then 33% and now 29% since then. Um, so I just don't think he's this important piece that, that his reputation is. And Justice Winslow, who I don't really think we've seen enough of just in general, because it seems like he's always banged up to know how good he really can be, um, but he's young and we know he's talented and he's got these flashes where like he'll go 10 straight games of like 12 points, eight rebounds, seven assists or something. And I only know that cause he was on my fantasy team last year. Um, that you're like, Whoa, hang on. This guy can really play, but then he gets hurt again. So I think it was pretty low risk overall for Memphis to get rid of Hill and Crowder and Iguodala, who was nothing. Um, and I also agree. I think, uh, Jang is a a really solid backup big. And if Winslow turns into what Winslow could be, I mean, they're going to look like absolute superstars on this trade.
0: Moving on quickly to the Golden State Warriors trading Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks for three future second round picks, all of which are probably going to be towards the back of the second round as well. Oh boy. I am not surprised at all that the Warriors traded Alec Burks just because he's had a bit of an up and down year, but overall has been pretty decent for them, but didn't seem like someone who was likely to get a lot of playing time on next year's version of the Warriors. So at least good to get some value out of him. I am a bit surprised that they traded Glenn Robinson. He's had... A surprisingly solid year for them, started every game he played for them at small forward, shot 40% from deep on three and a half attempts per game. He looked like someone who, even if maybe he wasn't going to be, you know, starting every single game next year, he looked like someone who could be a solid part of their rotation. And from all accounts, he loved being on the Warriors and was beloved within the Warriors locker room, both by players and by the coaches. So... Not really much betrayed trade overall, but I am a bit surprised that the Warriors moved on from Glenn Robinson, if I'm not surprised that they moved on from Alec Burks.
1: Sure. Um, I'm with you. I, I think I'm probably being harder on this trade than I should have, because my initial thought was Philly needed shooting, and they got two guys who are, like, fine as shooters. You know, uh, the, the thought was that they were going to go for, like, Gallinari or something like that. And... Uh, nothing against Glenn Robinson or Alec Burks. Um, I don't know how much better those guys are than like Korkmaz is shooting 39% on five attempts a game. Um, but these shooting 37% and he's given you way more on defense than those other guys. Um, so I don't super love it. Um, and I also, I think maybe this was a, a salary dump for the Warriors. Is that right? To, I think some of their moves got them under the the repeater tax.
0: Yeah, these moves combined with another move that we will discuss later got them just barely under the luxury tax line, which means they're out of danger from entering the repeater tax within the luxury tax. So they're sort of off the hook for that for the next couple of years, at least, which I mean, I get not wanting to pay luxury tax for literally the worst team in basketball.
1: Yeah. So from that point of view, like I get why they did it. So- you know, taking the second round picks. They're basically just giving this away for salary dump. So whatever, if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do.
0: Speaking of salary dump, <laughs> the Sacramento Kings traded Dwayne Dedman and two second round picks to the Atlanta Hawks for Jabari Parker and Alex Len. I certainly have some thoughts on this one, but why don't you give your thoughts on this first?
1: Um, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with you laying into this one. Um, I will say that Alex Len had surprisingly good numbers. Uh I think it was his per 36s during the John Collins absence. We were like pretty solid. Um that's not to say he's a great player or anything. Um and I uh I I have some thoughts about late first round picks and second round picks, but um I think that can wait for somewhere else in here that there's a a first rounder that gets tossed in there. Um, so please tell me how this feels personal, or personally, I should say.
0: Oh boy. So <laughs> I was, and I've sort of minorly eaten Crow on this a couple of times, but this is sort of the big bag of Crow that I got to eat on this. I was a huge fan of the Dwayne Dedman timing in the offseason. I thought he was someone that could be a great compliment for both Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox as someone who could shoot the three ball as a seven footer while also being a pretty solid rim protector on the defensive end. I thought he would be a pretty much perfect fit and that that was by far the best thing that the Kings did this off season. And it's less than a year in and they've already traded him in the salary dump. So that's really great. <laughs> I at least can say that unlike with the Dwayne Dedman deal, I've been against the Trevor Ariza signing from the moment that that happened. But You know, this offseason was, this past offseason, of course, not the one to come, was really the time when a Kings team that looked like they were on the rise for the first time in more than a decade could make some solid additions in free agency and compete for the playoffs. And instead, they fired the coach who took them to their best record in nearly a decade and a half, and they made two big signings besides Harrison Barnes, who They looked to trade pretty much immediately after signing him to that four-year deal. And now they've already shipped out two of the other big free agent signings they made this offseason. So
1: really just a fantastic (laughs) look overall for the Kings front office. Thank you. That did not disappoint at all. But at least now you get to look forward to Jabari Parker. I will say my initial, not my initial
0: reaction, but my secondary reaction to this trade was maybe they brought Jabari Parker on board just so that Marvin Bagley can feel a bit better about his life, because there's no way he'll be as disappointing of a number two overall pick as Jabari Parker.
1: You know, misery, misery loves
0: company, you know? And nothing says misery like being a Sacramento Kings fan. Ah, there we are. <laughs> yep, I mean you knew it was coming. What's next? <laughs> let's let's spare you the pain. What's next? Uh, speaking of Sacramento Kings, former Sacramento Kings Cal Obisier was sent to the Atlanta Hawks for cash, and the Hawks also received Derek Walton Jr. from the Los Angeles Clippers along with cash. So both of those deals are made by teams that are just shedding salary, and Atlanta was. The only team that was below the salary cap line before all the machinations of trade deadline day. So great job by Portland and the Clippers for successfully completing a salary dump, I guess.
1: Yeah, this was a doozy. Uh, This was the one that made me realize that Evan Turner was the only outgoing player in the Capella deal. Because I was like, oh, they just had to fill roster spots because they traded, you know, three or four guys to get Capella and Nene. And then I was like, wait a minute. Um, so I don't know, good for them for cooking the books.
0: A trade that certainly got a lot more attention than either of the ones that we just mentioned. The Minnesota Timberwolves traded Andrew Wiggins, their 2021 first round pick protected one to three and unprotected the year after that, and also a 2021 second round pick. So I have a very strong take on this trade, so I'm going to wait for you to go ahead and give your thoughts on this one. But this D'Angelo Russell-Andrew Wiggins deal was probably both the most shocking and the biggest name deal that happened on deadline day. So what were your thoughts when you saw the reports of this one coming through? Um,
1: I was a little surprised, uh, and then I was surprised the other way. And then I was like, I guess that makes it a fair trade. Um, because my first thought was, why did the Warriors want Andrew Wiggins? And then it was, why would the Wolves give up a top three? I mean, there's no way that pick is going to (laughs) fall worse than number five, right? Like, that's just handing a real good pick to the Warriors. And I get so mad when the best teams end up with the best luck again. Um. So I was mad then because I don't want the Warriors to be good forever. Um, and it just, it, like, it made me think of how when they when the Warriors signed D'Angelo Russell, they're, you know, oh, we're going to make it work. He's the, splash. he's the third splash brother, this and that. And everyone's like, I don't know. I think you're probably going to trade him. And they're like, no, no, no. This is another shooter. And then he's a shooter to hold them over while Clay is injured. And you're like, I don't know. I still think they're going to trade him. And then sure enough, there he goes. Um, and it, it just so much about it seemed weird. Cause like, they're both such incredibly flawed players and, you know, Wiggins, I guess the, the good news for Wiggins in golden state is that, um, obviously he's going to be third or fourth option on offense when everything is, when everyone's healthy. Um, but that might be kind of nice for him, you know? Um, even if he still feels like he's the first or second option, uh, the idea that like, they don't really need him to do much, uh, and that could work. So that that's kind of where I stood on this. I do think Russell and Towns will be a pretty entertaining pick and roll combo. Um, but I also think that (laughs) they will give up 175 points a game. But real oh you know what I'm gonna save my my draft pick thing for a little bit later, so uh, give me your your heaters on this one, so I
0: will say first of all that Andrew Wiggins played his first game for the Golden State Warriors tonight, and the game is going on as we are recording this podcast. His first shot in a Golden State Warriors uniform was a missed pull up from twenty one feet classic, so you know clearly clearly reliving the old Andrew Wiggins hits. I really hated this deal for the Warriors when I first saw the details coming through. I've softened on it a bit since then, especially when I saw how lightly that 2021 first round pick would be protected. Mm -hmm. But by far my most trenchant take on this, which has not softened since I've seen the details of this trade come through, is what possible reason does Bob Myers have for executing this trade in February as opposed to waiting until June? I don't understand why he felt such a strong need to make this trade right now. The Timberwolves, as has been widely reported for many, many months now, have been desperate to try and get D'Angelo Russell as a part of their franchise. They paid for him to go on a helicopter ride with Gerson Rosas after he had signed with the Warriors. That's how (laughs) desperate they were to get D'Angelo Russell. And... Given the return on this trade package, which is pretty solid besides the fact that I think that Andrew Wiggins is a much worse player than D'Angelo Russell, I just do not understand why the Warriors did not wait until the offseason. Why they didn't try and give Russell more than four games to try and play alongside Steph Curry because if you're the Timberwolves and you see D'Angelo Russell doing well in a more off-ball role alongside of Steph Curry, is that going to make you less willing to make a D'Angelo Russell trade? Is that going to make you more trenchant in terms of making sure that the pick is more heavily protected by the time you get to June? There's no way that this deal would not be on the table for the Golden State Warriors the day after the NBA Finals. So, why, 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 why would you make this trade now? That's my only take. Why would you do this? Now?
1: Yeah, I don't have a particularly good answer. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it was just like, hey, we don't know what's going to happen in four months and there's a, a really good pick getting dangled our way. We should take it. We should shoot first, ask questions later. Um, that's the best I can come up with. You know, you never know, maybe Wiggins, I don't know, plays out of his mind the rest of the season, or maybe they swing a different trade somewhere. Maybe someone gets hurt and they have to, um, they have to make a desperation trade for the wolves have to make a desperation trade. I don't know, two hours later. I I don't know. Like, I think there's just enough uncertainty that they feel like, well, why wait? Um. I guess it's sort of the, why now? Why not now? And I know you've just laid out several reasons, but um, I, I, that's the best I can come up with is like, the thing we want is that 2021 first and it's on the table, we should just get it and then see if we can figure out Wiggins. Uh, That's the best I can come up with.
0: A few more minor deals before we move on to the remaining shockers of this trade deadline. The Rockets got Jordan Bell as a part of the four-team, 12-player trade, and shortly after that, they shipped Jordan Bell to Memphis for Bruno Caboclo, who fits more as a Rocket center than Jordan Bell does, and saying anyone is a Rocket center at this point is kind of a ludicrous statement to begin with, but... I mean, Kabokla is more of a wing, so therefore he's more of a center for the Rockets.
1: Sure. Anytime you can get a six foot nine guy who's basically going to play center, you might as well go for it.
0: A six nine guy who weighs about four pounds, just, you know, to clarify.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. Why would you want someone heavier than that? I believe Bruno Caboclo was the famous, he's two years away from being two years away guy, right? Because that's-
0: Oh yeah, that's Bruno.
1: That's Bruno. That's one of the greatest quotes in NBA draft history. So really, I'm just happy I got a chance to bring that up. Next up, the Timberwolves,
0: as another feed forward from that gigantic trade, end up shipping Shabazz Napier to the Denver Nuggets, and the Nuggets forwarded Napier along to the Washington Wizards for Jordan McRae. The Nuggets have- Excuse me, excuse me, that's NBA champion Jordan McRae. Thank you, NBA champion Jordan McRae. I thought this deal was pretty solid for Denver, honestly, because their bench is incredibly deep, but if they can get another microwave scorer just in case things start going downhill in a playoff game and they need to turn it around, McRae is a lot more that type of player than Napier is, and the Nuggets are already set at backup point guard with Monty Morris.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think that um, you could show me, like, Five different guys on the Nuggets roster that are like flying around Jokic screens and either pulling up or making good passes. And I would have no idea if you were showing me Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, uh, while well, Malik Beasley's gone, but up until a couple days ago, Malik Beasley or Monte Morris or Torrey Craig. Um, and now you get to add, uh, <laughs> you get to add Jordan, NBA champion Jordan McRae to that list. Um, I agree, though. He's he's a really, really wild offensive player when he gets going. Um, And if you're looking for a bench player, I think that's that's what most teams want, uh, in my humble opinion. Also, that's Shabazz Napier's seventh team in his sixth NBA season.
0: That's that's impressive. That's ish Smith numbers right
1: there. It is my my first thought was Sebastian Telfair. Same principle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And finally, in terms of the remaining non-blockbuster, blockbuster in quotation marks, trades, the Philadelphia 76ers shipped James Ennis to the Orlando Magic for a future second round pick. Ennis was ninth in minutes per game for the Sixers this year and the Sixers this year have not exactly had the strongest bench in the world so not a glowing review of this season so far from Ennis but he's at least an average-ish three-point shooter and maybe he can help shore up Orlando's rotation but this was really just to clear up an extra roster spot and Philly also needed to cut Trey Burke on top of that to sort of shore out their roster decisions after the trade deadline. But really, this was just Philly getting rid of a roster spot.
1: Yeah, the downside to having to get rid of Trey Burke is that we don't get the Burke and Burks backcourt, uh, which I think existed briefly in Utah. And we had a chance at a reunion for about two hours before the cut happened.
0: On the other hand, though, I believe that Evan Turner and Jeff Teague have now been teammates on three separate teams in the last two years.
1: That's nice. NBA. Oh no, sorry, it's
0: it's Turner and Crab, isn't it? I got that wrong. Oh yeah, we've been traded for each other again. Jeez. Well, not traded for each other, but you know, swapping teams Mm -hmm. essentially again. Right. Fun times. It is. Anyway, let's move on to what I'm pretty sure was your favorite move from the trade deadline. The Detroit Pistons sent two-time Pistons All-Star, eight-time Pistons veteran, and the player who I believe is second in team history in rebounding, in Andre Drummond, to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a future second-round pick. So my reaction when I saw this trade come through was basically just staring at my phone and laughing uncontrollably while trying to figure out what was going on. And then I saw the terms of the deal, and that didn't change.
1: Right. Um, Yeah, this was surprising. Um, But like three or four levels of surprising, right? Like, why did, is this really the best that Detroit could get for him? And then uh, that was the first part. And then second part was you started hearing rumblings that Detroit was afraid that Drummond was going to opt into his contract next year and they were going to be saddled with that. So they were like, We gotta anything. We'll take anything. Um so that kind of bummed me out a little. Um third part was somehow it seems like the Cavs and Pistons have played each other like nineteen times this season. Um and Drummond dominate I I think I don't remember if they've actually played four times now or not, but they did play um, three times in a span of about ten days, and in two of those games, Drummond went twenty-twenty, and he must have stuffed Colin Sexton like nineteen or so times in those three games. And then the third game, he was like kind of a non-factor. Uh, so I've seen a lot of Andre Drummond, and he's he's a good player. I mean, he's not a super duper star and i probably wouldn't sign him to a 28 million dollar contract um but he's a good player and the Cavs got a good player for two not good players and a second round pick that's not gonna be anything so there's that The, the last stage of the reaction was early in the day um there were already reports out that if he doesn't get traded tristan thompson is not interested in a buyout and so you're like oh well that's probably going to change if Drummond now that Drummond's here, but then apparently it's not. And so it's just going to be very awkward um, because Drummond is just like a better version of Thompson. And neither of them are like great for the modern NBA. I shouldn't say it. Drummond is, he's a good defender. He's a great rebounder. Um, he's, I don't know. I think he's good enough to, He shouldn't get benched anywhere, and so I think it's a very small risk, and it's a mediocre to high reward situation, because let's say he actually does develop some chemistry with Garland or Sexton, Um, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Drummond's young, too, Um, or he's younger than we think. You know, he's not, like, he's not 30. He's, what is he, 26. Feels like he's been around forever, but he's pretty young. So you have him at 26. You have Sexton and Garland who are like 19 and 20. Kevin Porter Jr. is looks like a lottery pick. Makes some mistakes, but like crazy athletic. Highlight plays now and then. Um, so Drummond's a little closer to that timeline. Thompson, I think, is 30. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with Kevin Love. But like, it, there's, it's just, low risk, fairly high reward, I guess. And if if this three-month trial goes terribly, they just don't re-sign him, but at least they took a shot. So I had two sort of major reactions
0: in the aftermath of this trade. The first was that my view of it soured almost immediately when I realized that the Cavs were not going to trade Tristan Thompson. Right. Because given that it seemed like pretty early on Thursday that Kevin Love was not going to be traded because the Cavs weren't going to be able to find a deal. Right. Once that news came down, it really didn't make any sense at all to hold on to Tristan Thompson. So the fact that they didn't move him in the wake of this Drummond trade is a bit surprising to me, but it is. The main takeaway I had from all of this was Andre Drummond within about an hour of the trade basically sent out a tweet saying it's really unfortunate and a reminder. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically a reminder of how much of a business the NBA is that he gave his heart and soul to the Pistons for eight years and they didn't even warn him before shipping him out to Cleveland. And that combined with, all the reporting about Malik Beasley being incredibly upset about having to leave the Nuggets in a trade. It's really a reminder of the fact that there is a human element to this whole transaction game that doesn't get discussed all that often. So it is really unfortunate and upsetting for Andre that, you know, he was, you know, for better and for worse in many ways, the face of the Pristons franchise for the last half decade or so. And, they basically ship him out for just a random grab bag of expiring contracts. Right. And that side of this is really easy to miss, but also really easy to remember in moments like this, where it's like, wow, Andre Drummond was one of the best centers in the history of the Pistons franchise. And even if they didn't do all that great while he was there, he was still a good player for them for a very long time. And they basically shipped him out without any sort of notice (laughs) at all. And Yes, his name has been in trade talks for a while, and yes, he does get very well compensated for his basketball playing prowess, but those kinds of arguments are in really bad faith to me, especially when the people who are benefiting from the it's a business aspect of this whole thing are NBA owners like Tillman Fertitta and Dan Gilbert, who it's going to be really hard to convince me to be sorry for those people in pretty much any circumstance.
1: I am with you. Yeah, it was uh, it it was tough because the when Drummond put out that tweet or Instagram or whatever it was, it was like it boiled down to I'm sad, and I was like ah, ooh that hurts, <laughs> um, it was just like I'm I'm hurt by this. It was basically what he said, and it just yeah, like you said it, you're like oh man that that stinks for you man. I'm sorry. So, I don't know. So well, we got one big one left, right?
0: One big one left, and if Andre Drummond was very unhappy about the way that he got removed from the Detroit Pistons, I think that Marcus Morris is very, very, very happy right now to be leaving the New York Knicks, and anyone would be happy leaving the New York Knicks for pretty much any team. I think I'd rather play for the Port St. Lucie Mets, if I'm being entirely honest, but the Clippers did manage to secure Marcus Morris in a three-team deal the Clippers got Morris and Isaiah Thomas who they waived earlier today. The Knicks got Queens native Mo Harkless and the Clippers 2020 first round pick. They apparently also have swap rights on next year's pick and imagining the New York Knicks and the 2021 Los Angeles Clippers swapping their first round picks is probably the number one sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> For the Knicks perspective, I think they did end up doing pretty well to actually get a solid asset in return for their best player, despite, you know, having fired their trade decision maker two days before the deadline.
1: Okay, so I teased this earlier that I had a stat about first round picks and late round picks and that sort of thing. Um, A year or so ago, I got real curious and I made a chart of where draft picks, like, What kind of return you get from from different draft picks? So, imagine you're thinking of all the NBA drafts from 1995 to 2014. So that's 20 drafts, and we're looking at picks 25 through 30. So that's six picks: 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. So whatever that is, 20 times six, 120 picks. How many players do you think have earned more than one All Star and or uh? all-NBA roster
0: selection. So right off the top, Rudy Gobert and Jimmy Butler. Okay. So that's two. Uh-huh. <laughs> gets gets a bit more difficult from there. Gets a little hairy. Uh,
1: Was Kyle Lowry the 24th pick? Or- Kyle Lowry was 24th.
0: Okay, so not part of this group.
1: Not part of this group.
0: Uh, you could argue that's kind
1: of a technicality, but not quite. I mean, I get the principle. Um yeah, so David Lee was one. He he was 30th. Uh the other one was in the 2001 draft and that was uh Tony Parker. So uh so there are four guys out of those 120 picks have made more than one All-Star and or uh All-NBA team. So it feels like you know a real asset to have Houston's pick or have the Clippers pick or these sorts of things, but you know you're much more likely to get Shannon Brown or Maurice Ager than you are to get Kyle Lowry I mean like by a long shot um so I, that's my thing with draft picks is like they're obviously scouting talent is hard, and it should be, but I mean like George Hill was a twenty sixth pick he's a really solid player. But right after him went Darrell Arthur, then Dante Green. Don't know who that is. Then how? How dare you disrespect King of Legend Dante Green? How I'm dare sorry. You? Um, so you know it's so it's so much of a crapshoot down there, and it goes to show you that like the best way or like the way teams really do this and really get good is they kind of get lucky. You know they get lucky on an you know your top ten picks. It's a much better chance, but it's still like 20% of picks two through 10 end up with multiple all-star all-NBA appearances. Um, First picks are pretty good, but two through 10, it turns into a pretty big crapshoot. The last number eight pick to make an all-star game was like Glenn Rice. Um, So, so a 20, the, the uh, Clippers first round pick is good But if it's going to fall in that 25 range, like you're looking at like an under five to 8% chance. Yeah. About a five to 8% chance that they're going to make one all-star game. That's not to say they're going to be bad players. um, But you know, like, like I said, they might be George Hill. Um, But like those picks I think are overvalued. And all of this is to say that uh, it drives me crazy that the best teams always end up getting the best haul from the trade somehow and i think Marcus Morris was clearly the jewel of this trade um and it just and it's like the warriors getting the the wolves first like that's probably the jewel of that trade and it's going to go to the team that has been has had an embarrassment of riches over the last 5 years so that's my roundabout way of Saying, I think this is a little lopsided, even though I think Marcus Morris is unsustainably hot this season.
0: So, first of all, the jewel of the D'Angelo Russell trade was getting rid of Andrew (laughs) Wiggins' contract. Let's not beat around the bush about that. In terms of this particular trade, I think oddly enough, the Wizards are actually the clear winner of this trade. They basically took a flyer on a recent number 13 overall pick who, granted, has been very disappointing in the NBA, but they took a flyer on him for basically nothing. I don't even know how they got involved in this deal other than basically just to help the Clippers sort of figure out the financial portion of all of this. But, I mean, hey, good for the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right, so quickly before we wrap up, just sort of an informal winners and losers of the trade deadline. What teams stood out for you on either end in terms of what happened at this deadline?
1: Um, I think the Clippers are winners by getting Marcus Morris. Um. But I don't I think Memphis is a winner. Uh we talked about this briefly before recording, and I don't feel like there's a lot of huge winners. Um, but I do think Memphis is a winner. Um Cleveland's like a a a diet winner, like a, a fat free winner, because like it's only sort of a win. because um, they gave up nothing and they might get something. Um but I don't I don't really see too much else. I think maybe you could argue the Hawks are a winner to get Capella. Um losers though. I don't really like this for the Sixers. Um I think, you know, I, I think they are they're just not very good for the last like 2 months and I don't think Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks are going to make them substantially better. Could be wrong. Both of those guys can shoot a little bit. Um but, I don't know, They I don't have a ton of confidence there. And then, even though they got rid of Wiggins, I think this wasn't... <laughs> I don't think this is going to help the Timberwolves. Because I like Jang, and he's gone. And they're getting D'Angelo Russell and giving up what could be a really good pick in 16 or 18 months. Um. So that's... and, and the Pistons, because oof. Just oof for the Pistons. What about you?
0: So I'm going to put on a beanie and look up a picture of the Williamsburg subway stop and give two incredibly hipster winner-loser takes about the trade deadline. Sure. The clear winner for me is the Milwaukee Bucks. They didn't see any of the other top teams in the Eastern Conference other than Miami make a really big move. And the Miami move, they were trying to get Danilo Gallinari as well. And getting both Iggy and Gallinari might have been enough to make them a contender against the Bucks. But without both of those guys, I think the Heat still fall pretty far short. And the Bucks also got Marvin Williams after the Charlotte Hornets bought him out. So I think the combination of other teams in the East not improving enough and the Bucks getting Marvin Williams makes them winners of the trade deadline, despite having not made any actual trades. I think the Clippers are another clear winner. That's a bit less of a hipster take, but my alternative loser hipster take is: I think the Lakers lost the trade deadline. Yeah, Andre Iguodala got traded, and maybe you could argue that Memphis's talk about refusing to buy him out was a bit blustery, but. Either way, the Lakers didn't get Iguodala either through trade or buyout. They didn't get Marcus Morris either, and instead he went to their cross-building rivals in the Los Angeles Clippers. So the Bucks and the Clippers have very clearly improved over the last three days, and the Lakers have not. And granted, Darren Collison showed up to a Lakers game immediately after the trade deadline and sat courtside, which is not suspicious at all. No, but. There are also reports coming out about how the Lakers are looking at J.R. Smith as a potential signing following the trade deadline. I'm sorry, did you mean did you mean NBA champion J.R. Smith? I meant soup-throwing Olympics champion J.R. Smith, actually. He's, he's a multifaceted individual. Well, that's certainly one way of putting it. You're darn right it is. <laughs> the point being, though, that the Lakers didn't make any moves to improve, and their two biggest competitors both did. So yep, they're a loser in my book. I agree. That's not that hipster. Well, I think the Bucks one is
1: much more hipster.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Alright, anything else before we wrap up here?
1: Um uh, nothing I can think of. It's been uh it's been kinda wild. I, we can I can't wait till tomorrow when I get to watch uh Andre Drummond in a Cavs uniform and just think, oh, okay, sure, they're still gonna lose sixty games. <laughs> Maybe they'll lose fifty nine now. Maybe. <laughs>
0: dream big exactly all right well he is kevin nye you can find him on twitter at kevin p nye or you can find his work on the hashtag basketball website mainly on the power rankings which he and i along with three other writers complete for the website every week you can find me on twitter at nba johnson n-b-a-j-o-h-n-s-o-n if you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a reading and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out either via Twitter or via email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.